passage for us. I'm going to start in verse 33. I'm going to read all the way to verse 42. Matthew, the big five, the small number 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply, yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you give us understanding, that you convict our hearts, Lord, that you would motivate us towards obedience and holiness, that we would be people who do not simply pretend to be Christians, but, but Lord, we who have faith, God, would, would desire to walk in obedience to your commands. So help us, Lord, to understand this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we all know that none of us enjoy being around people who are hypocritical. None of us enjoy being around people who say one thing but yet do another thing, right? More than that, none of us enjoy having a friend who when they're with you, they seem like they like you and then they're kind of cool, but the second some other people come around, they immediately dash away from you to go hang out with people who seem to be more exciting or cool or popular, right? It always makes us feel like, are you really my friend? And there's a sense when it comes to the Christian faith, there's, again, this challenge in all of us. It's really easy to profess faith. All you have to simply do is say, I believe. I'm a Christian, right? And maybe, maybe you grow up in a few years and you're in an airport or you're at a job interview or you're in college and someone says like, oh, you have a Bible. Are you a Christian? And you maybe will rattle off some story about, yeah, I grew up in the church and I was involved in my youth group and I've kind of just always believed in Jesus. Many people will tell you that they in fact believe in God, that they are Christians that they believe in the Bible. But yet, over and over and over again in the New Testament, in the Scriptures, we are told not to be people who simply just say it. We are to be people who actually have a credible confession of faith. We are to have both, Jesus says. We are to be the people who are known by our deeds, and our words that we belong to Jesus. Because remember, in this little section of Scripture that we're going over, Jesus, he is kind of saying, hey, I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that everyone has been waiting for. And he is talking to religious people who assumed 
Uh, because they did the religious things, that they were an automatic in. They were an automatic yes to this kingdom. And Jesus has a few things to say. He says, you think you're good with me, but here's the thing. You say one thing and you do complete opposite. You say you care about following God's law, but it's seen in your deeds. What I'm referring to a little bit is what I call nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity simply means this, that you are a Christian by name alone. If someone you to ask you what you believe, you would say you're a Christian, but as far as you actually practicing your faith, living it out, truly living under the rule and reign of Jesus, there's a big gap between what you say and what you do. And it seems as if America, American Christianity, is what I would refer to as a, a mile wide, or there's a lot of people who say they're Christians, but it's about an inch deep. It's too easy, guys, to be a high schooler and to say you're a Christian. And Jesus here in this sermon, and, and, and matter of fact, this passage that we're considering tonight, he is giving us insight of, hey, what does it actually look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be marked by someone who truly bows the knee to Christ and lives in his kingdom? And these two stories, I'm just going to highlight two examples and two primary ways that Christians or people living in Jesus' kingdom live by. And the first we're going to see is they are to be marked by truthfulness. If you are a Christian, you are someone who should be marked by truthfulness. Let's look down at this first point, verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said of those of old that you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, this passage and especially the passage after this one, are some interesting passages, and Christians historically have done some funky things with these passages. But again, we're in a section where Jesus, he is quoting a part of the Old Testament law, and what he is doing is he is highlighting how the religious people of that day have misused the law, where they've taken away the, the heart behind the command. There's, there's, a, there's a sense even... You know, right now we're living in this day and age with all these mandates and laws um, where we talk about this argument of there's the spirit of the law and there's the letter of the law, right? The letter of the law is simply, I follow it to a T. I don't care what the motive behind it was. I'm just going to do what I'm told. But the spirit of the law thinks more about what is the principle and the value behind the law, right? And there's times where people, when they get so stuck on what is the, the, just the, the letter? What does it say? What do I have to do? And they don't actually care about what's behind it is that they fall into this, this, this formalism and ritualism. And that is exactly what happened to the Jews in Jesus' day. They didn't care so much about their neighbor or loving God more than they cared about, hey, look how good I am about making sure that I wear a mask all the time. Look how good I am about making sure that I never swear once. Look how good I am. I've, I've never done this. I've never done this. But what they were missing was the true 
spirit of the law. And so in this little section about oaths, Jesus is highlighting that. Where, in essence, what was happening is the Jews of that day would kind of take the law of God, and in the Old Testament, you could read about it in Deuteronomy, God allowed his people to make an oath and swear by God. And the purpose of that was, one, if you were to take an oath, it kind of should only be reserved for really special matters, right? Do not shake hands and make an oath or a covenant over a silly little thing like, hey, I promise that I'll bring the, you know, the movie that I borrowed back to you tomorrow. This should be for special things. And if you were to swear by God's name, it kind of increases the credibility. Typically, when you make an oath and you, and you bring someone else into it, like sometimes you might hear in our day and age, I swear my mother's grave, right? Stuff like, I don't know, weird stuff. I don't know where these phrases come from. <laughs> but what you are doing is you're invoking the character of the person. And so when you're saying, I swear by God's name that I will do what I'm doing this, it's, it's almost bringing in God as my witness. But what happened is they would kind of come up with these tricks and these rules to kind of break their words. So do me a favor, keep a finger on Matthew 5 and quickly turn to Matthew chapter 23. It's about, you know, 15 pages over in my Bible. But Matthew chapter 23, Jesus in the gospel of Matthew has a lot to say to the scribes and the Pharisees, and especially about oath-keeping. Do me a favor, look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. He says this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're hypocrites. Why? For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Well, wrong guy. Uh, wrong. Okay, sorry. I, I lied. Verse 16. There's another woe. Okay, my bad. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Really quick, just notice how we all think that Jesus is just so warm and fuzzy and a little teddy bear, and he never says anything hard. Jesus is going to affirm you. Well, he calls people blind fools, right? Brood of vipers other times too. Let's go on. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has, been made, uh, that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You could turn back to Matthew 5. So those are examples of what they were doing. They were saying, hey, if I just swear by the temple, hey, I swear on the sake of Solomon's temple, Right? is a way of tricking people into not actually having to be held accountable to their words. But if they were to swear, I swear in the gold inside the temple, then they were actually liable for keeping their oath. And what Jesus is doing is he, he just says, hey, enough of all of these games. You, you, you guys miss, you, you, you add things to God's law, you take the, the, the letter of it, but you completely forgot the spirit of it. What was the spirit of the law? It was that you, God's people, would be marked by truthfulness. By truthfulness. You know, and, and, 
And that's the point that Jesus makes. Sometimes Christians read this and they think, I'm not allowed to make an oath. Therefore, if I get called to be a jury one day or stand in front of a judge and they make you put your right hand over the Bible and lift up your raised hand, maybe it's opposite, I've never done it. I don't, one of those. And you're supposed to say, I solemnly swear that I will tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? Some people feel like because Jesus seems to imply here that you can't make any oath, so they won't even make a marriage covenant, right? In a few months from now, we will watch someone who knows, only Lord knows who that person will be, the president, right, will put their hand on a Bible and they will make an oath to the country, right, that they will execute their duties as the president. And I want to be very clear, and I don't have a lot of time because I'm talking about the second passage too, but elsewhere in the scripture, you see the Lord making oaths and swearing. And by swearing, I don't mean saying a curse word, but, but making swearing on something. As a matter of fact, we read in Hebrews, right, where Christ has given us an oath and a promise. And so Jesus here, when he says, do me a favor, look at verse 37, let what you say simply be yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. We have to also take into account what else the Bible teaches about this. And so listen, it is okay to take an oath. It is okay at times to go to court and, to, to, and if, every, if any of you ever get into elected office, you know, to, to say, you know, your oath. And a lot of times, even in the military, you have to say some kind of oath. But here's the point that Jesus is really making when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That as a Christian, you would be marked as someone who's truthful. You know, um, studying for this passage, I read an article on psychology today. And, and sometimes those articles are a little fast and loose with statistics and how much they can be actually believed or not. I, I'm not really sure. There's not a lot of research that's credible on some of those pop sites. But um, one article I read said that um, anywhere from 60 to 70% of people lie in an average 10-minute conversation. And the amount of lies in a conversation is about two to three lies. There's a sense, right? Six, six out of 10 of you, right? Tonight, when you're talking with your friends, some of you lied. If I think back all the conversations that I had this week, I probably said a lie. Matter of fact, I meet with two people every Friday for accountability. And one of the questions we always ask every single week did you lie to anyone? Did you lie to anyone? Right? And typically we answer that. I can't think of anything specific, but I probably did. But I probably did. It's, it's, it's easy to say, like, well, I'm not a liar. I don't lie that much. But when you actually start thinking about it, how much of us, you know, when we talk about our stories and our lives, we just kind of begin to exaggerate a little bit. Right? You go on that trip and you kind of want it to sound a little bit more exciting, so you kind of just add in a few details. Right? Some of us, we hate the mundane. We hate boring things. We want to be known as people who are exciting. We want people to think that we're cool and we live edgy lives. And so we want to tell stories and we like the reaction that, that we're getting. And so we kind of just add in a few little details of the story that maybe didn't ever happen. Or how about maybe you're talking to your parents and you tell them the truth, but, but what you do is you just withhold some of the facts. And so you kind of spin a story and a narrative where everything you're saying is true, but because you are withholding some key pieces of information, it makes the story seem to be in a different light. None of you ever do that, right? 
And whether or not you directly lie to people because you're afraid of what they think of you, or whether you exaggerate your stories, or whether you disobey your parents by lying to them, here's the thing. Every single one of us, we struggle with truthfulness. You know, and, and social media hasn't made this any easier. We portray a life on social media that we curate that really has nothing to do with reality. And what Jesus is trying to say here, it's like, hey, my kingdom, you're marked by truthfulness. And here's the scary thing. To be someone who isn't truthful, to lie, like we all do, Jesus says that you are more represented by Satan. He says right there, right? Anything more than this comes from evil. And some translations will say from the evil one. You know, Satan is the father of what? Lies. And guys, there's a sense here in which, you know, it's, it's easy for me to say, like, hey, don't lie. Don't, don't be, you know, untruthful. Do better, right? And you kind of think to yourself, okay, you're right, Aaron. I shouldn't lie that much this week. I'm going to do better. I'm going to make sure when I tell my stories about my life, I'm not going to exaggerate things. And that'll probably work for a couple of days, right? But do me one quick favor. Put, keep your finger on this and turn to a, towards the end of the New Testament, the book of Titus. Um, love me some Titus. Uh, love the pastoral epistles. It's right before the book of Hebrews, if you know where that's at. Kind of go back a book. The book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 1. I'll let you guys get there. I want you to see this. All right. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Hey, guys, just a quick reminder. We serve a God who never lies. He is light and he is truthful. And there's a sense in which I think if we're all being honest, when we think about oath breaking, breaking promises, right? How many of us just from the earliest of ages learn to give a promise and all we do right behind our back is cross our fingers? It is so easy in this day and age. I mean, it's just prevalent. It's the air we breathe. I mean, how many of us truly can trust a politician? And maybe we can. Maybe it's the maybe it's the media that makes us very. But it's it's almost like it's so accepted to be people who exaggerate, who tell little lies. But here's the thing. Can you imagine Jesus his entire life when he was your age? Never once told a lie. Never once fudged a story. Never once looked at Mary in her eyes and told her that he did the dishes when he knew that he didn't. You know. And this is, this is our king. This is, this is Jesus, our savior. And, and guess what? The more we spend time with Jesus, the more we reflect on his righteousness given to us, the more we bow the knee to Jesus, here's what begins to happen. We begin like him. And a lot of this process, here, here's how it begins. It just begins by simply repenting, by acknowledging, like between you and the Lord, 
yeah, I, I need to work on truthfulness. I, I do lie. I try to cover up things. But, but Lord, help me. Help me to be someone who's known for being someone who's of, you know, upstanding and, and um, always tells the truth and is never going to fudge the story. And the last thing I'll say is this. Um, there's a quote, I forget his name, Sir Frederick Carlyle, some English pastor years ago said, anytime we use the words, I swear, before a statement, is really just telling people how untruthful we are. Think about that for a second. If you had to tell someone to believe what you're saying, hey man, I swear, by you saying those words, I swear, do you know what you're just saying? I'm not that truthful of a person. Does that make sense? Because if people just believed what you said, you wouldn't have to convince them to believe you. Some of us here are like the little boy who cried wolf. We've lied too many times, we exaggerate too many times, and it just seems like it's hard. But I just encourage you, take that fresh step of obedience. Be someone who is marked by truthfulness. All right. So, so this is, that's the first way in which we are called to actually live our faith out. We're to be known and marked by people who are truthful. But the second, we are to be marked by people who are humble and loving. Humble and loving. Do me a favor. Look back down at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, this is probably one of the most confusing verses where people literally believe that if someone comes up to you and punches you, that you have to literally turn your cheek. Okay, give me right here, right? Um, I was reading this commentator, and he quoted some Irish story where an Irish guy was in a a pub, and someone hit him in the face, and so he turned his his face and hit him again. Then after that, the guy, you know, beat him to a pulp. (laughs) And someone said, well, like, what happened there, man? Like, he's like, well, Jesus says turn the other cheek, but after that, he doesn't say anything. So I just kind (laughs) of went for it, right? Um, So... There's a lot to kind of unpack here, so let me just do my best to be clear. So first off, when Jesus quotes this law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, it was never supposed to be personal retaliation. Uh, The Lord did set up systems of courts to kind of pursue out justice. And the reason you have an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was to limit the justice to make sure that it's fair. Not that it's a good movie to quote from, but if you happen to see the first Godfather, the very first scene, there's a man who comes to the Godfather asking the Godfather to get retaliation because two guys have beat up his daughter. And the Godfather with, you know, cotton in his cheeks like, what do you want me to do for you, right? <laughs> and this baker, or I think he's not a baker, he's like a, works with dead people, Borg, but he says, I want you to kill them. I want you to kill them. You know, they molested my daughter or something like that. And, and the godfather says, that is not justice. Your daughter is still living. So if someone were to accidentally, if they're building something or they weren't paying attention, maybe it's like manslaughter in a way, and their house, you know, something fell and it broke someone's arm, the justice meant that you couldn't do anything more than a broken arm, right? Like, so say someone like, hey, you scratched my car, therefore I'm going to take all of your house. Like that's not, that's not fair. That's not just. That's what the law was trying to do, to make sure that people couldn't go more than what happened. 
But here's the thing. Again, when you think about the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, the letter of the law, if you're only focused on what it says, what they began to actually care more about was personal vendettas and revenge. Hey, you did this to me. I'm going to get mine from you now, right? And this is where, man, I had this story one time. I was like in the eighth grade. I had some cousins who were my age, and I didn't have any sisters, and they were girl cousins, and so I'd only see them around holidays. And this cousin was in a phase. She lived in Orange County, and she was this valley girl, and she, was, she just walked in the room, and you could just smell it on her. She just knew that she was just better. She was just cocky, kind of mean. I have like four boys. Like, you know, she, she was texting before anyone was texting, right? Back in my day, like texting was 10 cents a text. Like, who's got money for that, right? Times have changed, right? And there's, a, there's this moment where I was on a computer and I was on my MSN messenger chat. None of you know what that is, right? Goodness. And she's like, hey, Aaron, I just need to get on there really quick just to check something really quick. Just, I just need one minute. I'm like you're not very trustworthy. I don't, no, I don't really want to do this. She's like, no, I, I swear it would just be one minute. I'm like, hey, I've been waiting a long time to use a computer, so I better, want, I better get this back. I'm a fool. I shouldn't have listened. <laughs> Stupid, Aaron. Like, shame. I stand up. She gets on there, and I come back five minutes later. I give her five minutes instead of two. I'm like, hey, you said, she, no way. I have to deal with this. It's like some boy drama or something. <laughs> Three hours later, kid you not. And it was like, at that point, it was like bedtime. I was so angry in my heart. You don't understand. Like, it's not so much like that I couldn't get on the computer. It's like, you think you're better than me? You think that it isn't like, you're the only person who actually like, wants to do things? It's like the world revolves around you. And she was an only kid. I'm like, no, 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 no. So everyone to bed. I'm like, my eyes, like, if you were to like see me in the middle of the pitch dark, my eyes were just like, I was waiting. I kid you not, I waited till 2.30 in the morning like this, like, I woke up, I stood up, I walked to the kitchen, I found the biggest glass I could, I turned the sink on, I filled that cup up, I marched with authority, I found her and I threw that water in her face so hard. I threw the cup down, I marched back, I laid down and pretended I was sleeping. And all I hear is crying and screaming Every light in the house comes on. My aunt had a big house. My parents got out of bed. My grandma got out of bed. My aunt and uncle got out of bed. They thought like a murderer was there. Like, and... Uh, well, good job, Aaron. And I tell you what, in that moment, I felt so justified, right? And it was like too... Like, everyone was so confused. Like, they're like, who did this? Like, and everyone knew that Aaron had a... Pretty big bone to pick with Kaylee. <laughs> and, and my mom was like, it was you, wasn't it? I'm like, no, nah, I'm sleeping here the whole time, right? <laughs> and, and so anyway, so I'm like double whammy here. I, I lied. I was not being truthful. I was all about retaliation. Like me, this is a good example of me saying I'm a Christian, but living very far from it. Okay. Yes. So with all of that said, Okay, they wake up in the morning, they find out it was me. We're going to Knott's Berry Farm that day, the day after Thanksgiving. And they, like, they, they couldn't find it in their hearts 
to actually punish me on a fun day, and they all knew that Kaylee was kind of a pill anyways, and so they're like, hey, don't do that again. I'm like, oh, okay. So I say that because here's the thing. Retaliation feels good. You're, you're, you're lying if you think it doesn't. If someone harms you, it is your natural instinct to say, how can I get back at you? Now, here's the dangerous thing about retaliation is that it may not look like a death, you know, a death march to getting a cup of water and throwing at someone. It could just be holding that grudge and that bitterness against somebody. That if someone ever made fun of you, if they ever did you wrong, if they ever like, you know, humiliated you in a a way, there's a sense in which you want to retaliate by never letting go of that hurt. And what Jesus is teaching here, he's not saying that if someone slaps you that you just turn your cheek to them and let them slap you again. Nor is he saying that if someone sues you, you just give them everything. What he's really kind of teaching here is that you learn when it comes to personal justice that you are willing to let things go. That to the best of your ability, you are to not be people, if someone gets in a fight with you, that you have to fight back. That if someone gossips against you, that you don't sit there and talk about them back. Right? We don't have to keep escalating the violence because that's all what happens, right? Because after you prank this person, they prank them and it just kind of begins to escalate, right? When they say this, you say that, and then it just it goes to nowhere. And Jesus is saying, my people are marked by people who are meek. Right? Do you remember that in the Beatitudes? Look at chapter 5. And those Beatitudes, Jesus says it right there in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those who are willing to admit, hey, in humility, I need to trust the Lord here instead of trusting my own vendetta. But as much as we love movies like The Count of Monte Cristo, and if you haven't seen that, I really encourage you to check it out. And as much as we love to kind of do those little personal attacks back or hold grudges, Jesus is saying, hey, just write off the loss. Right? And so, again, this, this idea here where if you look at verse 40, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Again, that's not saying someone in youth group goes, hey, Tyler, I like your jersey. Can I have it? Well, here, here's my wallet too, man. Right? <laughs> if you actually observe here, Jesus says if someone sues you. Right? So he's talking about the court of law here. He's not talking about, like, about personal relationships. And so if someone sues you, just be the kind of person who's willing to, to write out the loss that you're not willing to defend yourself always, that you don't always have to have the last word, that you don't always have to make sure that you are seen in the perfect light. Don't retaliate, Jesus says. And he goes on here. He says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That more than retaliate, we are to actually be people who give what others want. Can I just tell you guys, both of these lessons just go right against the flow and the norms of the culture we live in. And can I, can I be honest with you? These are not normal values and things to have as a teenager. But why should we be these people who are known for truthfulness, who are known for not retaliating, who are willing just to write the loss off because Jesus himself did this for us, right? Trust the man who is willing to tell you the truth even if it hurts you. 
but is willing to say, but I will take all the punishment and the cost for it. Trust the man who does not retaliate against your sin, but instead absorbs it so that he can forgive you. Trust the man who is willing to be patient and teach you. And when you find those moments where you're untruthful and you want to retaliate or you want to hold your grudge against a sibling or a parent or a friend, or maybe even want to do something to kind of backstab them, trust the man who is saying, hey, my grace is sufficient, but there's a better way. You see, it, it takes humility Humility, not, not just to think of yourself less, but to think of, to think, not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. That it doesn't always have to be my way. And this is where, where Jesus, he is the different type of king. He, he is not the king that they expected. They expected a Messiah, a king, who if Rome struck, that Jesus would strike back harder. They expected a strong man who if someone gives an insult, they have to give one right back. I, I, I just, it, it, the moment is so ironic that not to say it would just be such a big miss. But you look at the, the, the cultural wars between the right and the left and the politics and, and how they just scream at each other. And it should be the Christians who are the breath of fresh air, who are truthful, who don't fire back insults, who aren't known for retaliation. And then this, is, this is it. This is when, when Christians are marked not by just what they say, but how they live. We glorify the Lord Jesus. We honor him. Last thing I'll say, do me a favor, turn to James chapter five. I know we've been kind of going all over scriptures tonight, but, but James chapter five. right after the book of Hebrews. Titus was before it. James is after it. One of the few last books of the Bible, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Please do not be misled to think that you can claim to have a relationship with Jesus and not follow him. Don't be lied to to think that you can say you believe in Christ but not have full allegiance to obeying him. And there's a sense when James, I mean, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, who would think about his growing up with, with Jesus, who never saw him lie. And towards the end of this little letter, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Here's the warning. So you may not fall under condemnation. You see, guys, here's the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about, about the gospel. is that it's free. It's unmerited. There is grace for all of our sins. Yet, it demands everything. It demands our lives, our very all. And as Christians, we are the people who should be the first to apologize, the first to be known as people who tell the truth, 
to be people who know God does not retaliate against me when I sin. And far be it for me that I should do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for these words. Help us, Lord. We know that, that we struggle, Lord, with being honest. You are the God who never lies. Your, your promises always come to pass, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to take those truths in and, and to just, just to be overjoyed and to, have, and to be sober, Lord, when it comes to thinking about who you are. And Lord, we just pray for your divine help by the Spirit that we would learn to become people who don't retaliate, that we, would be learn, that we learn to be people who are honest, to tell the truth. God, we all need help. And so bless these high schoolers and these middle schoolers, Lord, with faith. Faith to be true servants of the Lord Jesus. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.